0: There is surely not a more practical book in the New Testament than the book of James. The book of James is just full of practical information. It has, In fact, it doesn't waste any time getting to it. The book of James has a one-verse greeting, and at the end of the book there are no closing remarks. There are no uh, sort of difficult or abstract arguments developed in the book of James. Uh, instead, it's just filled with practical admonitions for daily living. Plenty of do's and don'ts are in the book of James. The purpose of the book, I think, is stated in the verses that, that uh, uh, was read for us earlier, that Jeffrey read for us earlier. In verse 4, it suggests that these things are intended to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so, that's the purpose of the book. I thought we'd do something different tonight and spend just a few minutes, do it in sort of rapid-fire succession, look at the book of James, go all the way through it, get a thumbnail sketch at the kind of practical admonitions that are contained there, things that we can put into practice in our daily living to be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing, the way God wants us to be. So I hope that it'll be helpful, just a quick encouragement from the book of James. If you have your New Testaments with you, uh, we'll pick up a pew Bible and open it to James. We're going to just stay right there in that short epistle tonight and do a, a rapid-fire study of the things that James has to say. Thanks for being here tonight. We appreciate you very much for your presence. We're glad for our visitors. We appreciate you coming our way. We hope you'll come back every time that you have a chance, and if there's anything we can do to assist you in any way, especially in regards to Bible study, if you just say a word, we'll certainly make ourselves available. Uh, we believe that learning and following the instructions contained in God's Word are the most important things in life, and we would be glad to assist you in your study of the Scripture in any way that we can. Let's talk about some practical admonitions for daily living in the book of James. And we're just going to go through. We're not going to read all the verses, obviously, but we're going we're to hit the highest points and, and try basically to, to get a point out of every paragraph in this short epistle of James. The first thing that James says of the person who is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, the, the kind of individual that he's describing is the individual who uses trials to build character. In those verses that Jeffrey read, did you notice verse 2? It says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse or various kinds of temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know, every person at various points in their life, falls upon hardships or difficulties, trials, temptations, and so forth. You can allow those things to do one of two, to have one of two outcomes. You can either let these kind of difficulties and burdens and trials ruin you, or you can use them to make you stronger and more capable of serving God. The, per, the person that God wants us to be is the kind of person who uses these trials to build his character, become stronger and stronger, more fit for the master's use. And so that's what we ought to do. Don't be surprised when your life encounters certain difficulties. That's the plight of all men living in this present world. When those hard times come... Use them to build character instead of letting them ruin you and make you bitter uh, and hateful and depressed and discouraged. Let them build your character to be a stronger person. The kind of person God wants us to be, perfect and complete, lacking nothing, is the kind of person who seeks God's wisdom. Did you notice there in verse 5 beginning, he says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We've talked plenty of times about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You notice it doesn't say if you lack wisdom, ask God and God will give you the... the, the excuse me, it doesn't say if you lack knowledge, ask God and God will give you knowledge. God has already given us the, the source of knowledge in the inspired word. So you don't ask for knowledge. We've got the, the ability to have that. we just got to study and acquire knowledge. Wisdom, as we've often defined it, is the ability to take what we know and put it to use. To use what we know is wisdom. Now, sometimes we need help with that. And the promise that James gives is that if we ask God for wisdom, he'll supply that. And so as we're living day by day, we know what we're supposed to do based upon what's revealed in the word. Ask God for the wisdom to put these things into practical application day by day. That's the kind of person God's looking for, perfect and complete, lacking nothing, seeking God's wisdom. This kind of individual who's described in the book of James does not put much stock in his physical circumstances. Look in verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice that he exalted that he is exalted, but the rich that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. It really doesn't matter, and it's not of tremendous significance what our state or status in life is. And God's looking for people who are, are able to look beyond the here and now, look beyond the material things of this present life, and see that there's something much more valuable than that. And so the poor is exalted, the rich is brought down. We're all on an equal level in regards to God because spiritually that's what really matters. And the kind of person who is perfect, complete, lacking nothing is one who can see it from that perspective. Uh, it, it doesn't matter, really, whether we're rich or poor in the final analysis. This kind of person also is the kind of person who does not blame God when he sins. Uh, in James chapter 1 still, we're just working our way through here at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Have you heard people who make the argument, uh, well, uh, maybe i do some stuff that I shouldn't do, but it's just the way I'm made. It's the way God made me. I can't help myself. It's just the way I am. Uh, Those are really attempts to blame God for your own failings. And James tells us we should never do that. That's not the kind of individual we ought to be. Don't blame God when things are not going right or going well or when you fail or when you misbehave, when you sin. Don't blame God. God is not the cause of that, and we should be smart enough to realize that. This kind of individual quietly listens to God. Notice in verse 19, chapter 1, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I believe that the context will bear out that the swift to hear there is to hear the will of God. We should be the kind of people who are attuned to the will of God. We want to learn it. We want to hear it. We want to be instructed. And then when we have quietly listen to what God is telling us in His inspired Word, we put it into practice. Notice then in chapter 1, verse 22, "...be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." If you're going to be what God wants you to be, you can't just always be hearing the truth. You've got to, at some point, put it into practice, right? Too many people deceive themselves, and that's what the verse warns about, they think everything's all right. They, they may know what the Scriptures teach, but they don't practice it. That's just self-deception. So, this individual that James is describing quietly listens to God and then puts into practice what he hears, and we need to be that sort of an individual. In chapter 2, he goes on to say, this person does not show partiality. It's a longer section, but let's just read the first few verses there, chapter 2. My brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Here, this sort of partiality is plainly condemned, uh, and it would have application in lots of regard. Specifically, here he seems to be talking about the, the rich looking down upon the poor. But it would have other applications in regards to various things. For instance, uh, race relations might be considered in the text as well. I think there's been a lot of progress made in regards to these kinds of prejudices, but they still exist, obviously. And as the people of God, we should not show partiality. Of course, chapter 2 of James is famous for the essay at the end of the chapter about putting our faith to work. Not just empty claims, but when we say we believe, we demonstrate it by what we do. And the two verses that we always remember here, although all of them are powerful, the two verses we always remember are verse 24, where it says, You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. And in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, Those for us may be some of the most remembered verses in the book of James because they so powerfully teach that to really show our faith, we must demonstrate them by what we do in obedience. The kind of person that God wants us to be is the person who demonstrates his faith by his works. Moving into chapter 3. James talks about the necessity of controlling the tongue. Uh, Notice in verse 2, For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. I think that's interesting. In the way it's worded, James is saying, if you have reached a point of spiritual maturity where you're able to control your tongue and not commit sins with the tongue, then you've probably got everything else mastered too, because... He's arguing that that's the most difficult thing. And that's the highest sign of spiritual maturity if you can be careful not to commit sins with the tongue. Well, what kind of sins might we commit with the tongue? Well, you could compose a pretty lengthy list of things that would be sins committed with the tongue. For instance, of course, uh, here's, here's a fellow who loses his temper, flies off in fits of rage, and uses curse words in all sorts of ugly language. He's not... He's not the mature individual God wants him to be, for sure, if he's doing that. Well, someone says, well, I never do that. I never say curse words. I, I, I've i never said a curse word, you know. Or if I did years ago, I quit doing that, and I haven't cursed in a long, long time. I just, so, is that what you're talking about, just saying curse words? Well, that's, that would be one form of sin with the tongue, but there are plenty of others. Lying, for instance, would be a sin committed with the tongue. Gossiping would be a sin committed with the tongue, and you could you could extend the list. But the mature person that God wants us to be, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, is the person who's learned to control his tongue. If you haven't done that yet, you're certainly not where God wants you to be. That's an area where we all could spend time working to become more as God wants us to be. In chapter 3, this person that God wants us to be is one who seeks heavenly, not earthly, wisdom. In chapter 3, look at verse 15. This wisdom, there's a wisdom, he says, that descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. There's two, there's two forms of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world, And then there is the wisdom which is from above. Uh, It is demonstrated in ways such as James indicates there, how we treat one another and how we relate to each other. But we should be the kind of people who want to have God's viewpoint on things, not the world's viewpoint on things. And I think that's a great challenge for us because, as we've mentioned so often, there's a great tendency for us to want to be like the world. When we have to finally realize we can't be like the world if we're going to be the people God wants us to be, we should be seeking heavenly, not earthly wisdom. This mature individual purges himself of selfish desires. In chapter 4, look at verses 2 through 4. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war and ye have not because ye ask not, ye ask and ye receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. I think that's a, a statement that we need to spend some time contemplating because again, that's sort of what we're tempted to do. We want to be friends with the world, but also friends with God. We want to have it both ways. And James is saying you can't have it both ways. It's simply not possible. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. And, and part of that, in that context, he suggests, involves our selfish desires and pursuits. So we have to purge ourselves of those things to be what God wants us to be. Furthermore, we have to humble ourselves before God. Look in verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. We need this humility of spirit to see ourselves as we really are, and then to correct any errors that we see in ourselves by submitting to God, resisting the devil. Unfortunately, even among Christians, well, we, we often run into the problem of pride and personal arrogance, and that's so counterproductive to what God wants us to be. We need to be humble before God. We need to be careful about judging our brother unrighteously. In chapter 4, look at verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law... Thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here we're warned about harsh, hypocritical, and hypercritical judgments. This would be a passage very similar to the famous one that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 7, where he said, judge not that you be not judged. Now, we know there in Matthew 7 that Jesus wasn't making a blanket prohibition on judging. Other places command us to make necessary judgments. But there he was talking about judging others when we ourselves are not willing to correct our own problems, judging others before taking care of our own issues. And I think that's the same sort of thing that James is talking about here when he warns us about judging our brother unrighteously. This mature person that James is describing realizes his total dependence upon God in chapter 4, verse 13, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. Everything is dependent upon God, and we need to realize that as so. I've told you so often about my grandmother who used to always stop you if you talked about a plan that you had for the next day or week or month. She would always stop you and correct you and add, if the Lord wills. I don't think that James is saying that we actually have to have that formula, but we have to have that attitude. We don't have to say those words every time we're talking about a future plan, but we certainly have to have the attitude that we are totally dependent upon God and on His will. This mature person of the book of James, is a person who does not long for riches. In chapter 5, in the first verses, he warns about the dangers of riches. He says in verse 1, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days, and on it goes. Uh, in the materialistic age that we live in, the warnings of Scripture, not just here in James but throughout, about covetousness and materialism, they definitely need to be heeded. We're, we're certainly under threat of that. A spiritually mature person realizes that an accumulation of material wealth is not really significant at all. It's not going to last, right? We're going to be here for a very short time in the big picture of things. And then it will all be gone. And so we need to be careful not to make the possession of this world's wealth our primary objective. Unfortunately, too many do. A mature person waits for the Lord's coming. In chapter 5, at verse 7, he says, "...be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the uh, of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, till he receive the early and latter rains. Be ye also patient, establish your heart." For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We sing a song, uh, it won't be very long. And I hope everybody knows that when we're singing that song, we're not making a literal prediction on the fact that we think we can say that Jesus is coming again at any specific point in time in the future. We don't know that. It's impossible to know that. The Scriptures tell us it can't be predicted. Jesus will come as a thief in the night. But in reality, it won't be very long. In in relative terms, in comparison to eternity, it won't be very long. Uh, For all of us, we're either going to die, and that's going to be pretty soon, or we're going to still be living when the Lord comes. Either way, it won't be very long. We're not going to be here in this world very long. Therefore, we need to patiently continue to do the Lord's will, looking forward to His coming. It won't be very long. The mature person is certainly true to the Word of God, chapter 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay-nay, lest you fall into temptation. You have to be true to your Word. You have to be honest. You have to mean what you say. It is an unfortunate thing when a person can't be trusted, when he tells you something and you can't believe that he'll do what he says. That should never be indicative of a Christian. Unfortunately, sometimes it is. There are some Christians who can't seem to keep their word, keep their promises to God or man, and that's a sad thing. The person who is perfect and complete, lacking nothing, is certainly true to his word. We're not going to say one thing and do something else. Be honest. Your word is your bond. That sort of attitude is possessed by the spiritually mature person. We've got to pray. We've got to pray fervently. The famous verses here in chapter 5 about prayer include verse 16 where he says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer works. Use it, is what James says. He uses the example of Elijah in that same context. Elijah prayed. God answered his prayer. God answers our prayers. Pray fervently. And finally, you need to be busy trying to restore the erring. Verse 19, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. One of the things that's implied in that is that I have to be aware if my brother is in trouble. It is an unfortunate thing when Christians don't even know each other well enough to know that Maybe my brother is struggling. Maybe he needs my help. Maybe I need to go and try to correct him because he's falling away. But if I don't know anything about my brother, then I'm not even in a position to be a help. So we've got to develop those close relationships, as we've talked about recently in a Bible class, and we need to be busy looking out for one another's spiritual well-being. The mature person tries to restore those who are straying away. God is looking for that sort of person. Do you notice the book just ends? There's no farewell. There's no final words of conclusion. The book just ends. Almost from the very start to the end, the book of James is just completely full of practical admonitions for daily living. We've just done a real quick thumbnail sketch purposely tonight because we knew we'd be spending some extra time in singing. But just look how fast the book of James just rapid-fire sort of succession tells us things that we ought to be doing if we want to be perfect and complete lacking nothing in service to God. I hope that we can use that book and its admonitions in our practical daily living to become more and more the kind of people God wants us to be. Thanks for coming tonight. It's been a good time together as we've sung and prayed and studied from the Word. As we bring this to a close, we'll sing a song of invitation with the idea being, if there are any here who know that your life is not right with God, We urge you to make it right by doing whatever is necessary. If you're not a Christian, that means obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.